We hope you're blessed and encouraged by the following study from Calvary Chapel, Elmani. It's our simple prayer that you would grow stronger and deeper in an intimate and personal relationship with Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions, please feel free to contact us here at Calvary Chapel, Elmani. Let's open up to Luke chapter 12 today. As we finish the chapter with a fiery sermon from Christ. Let's look what it says in verse 49. Jesus said, Luke 12, 49, I came to send fire on the earth. And how I wish it were already kindled. Pretty interesting thing that Jesus says. Huh? He's saying, he's saying I, I came to like set the world on fire. You know, and, and you wonder, well, what does the Lord mean by that? Well, I think when you study fire within the scriptures, it carries at least a couple of messages to us. Number one, purification. Uh, we see that within the pages of scripture, a fire will bring purification. But another thing that we see within the scriptures is that fire speaks of punishment. Fire, fire speaks of punishment. You know, and undoubtedly, when we see how Jesus said, man, I want to set the, the earth on fire, and you know, I wish it was already on fire, uh, basically what Jesus is saying is that I'm eager to justify, I'm eager to purify my people, and I'm eager to bring justice on planet earth, for justice to prevail. Because we look out and we see all the sins and all the wrongs and all the calamities and all the tragedies, and Jesus is saying, man, I just want everything to be done. You know, it's a really cool thing. He's eager for justice to prevail, which would eventually mean that every unrepentant sin and sinner would be punished in the fires of hell. And even we know that one day that this world will burn. And so fire, it speaks of purification and heaven for those who trust in Christ. And fire speaks of punishment, hell and the lake of fire for those who will not. And so right off the bat, and I want to challenge you today, if you're not a believer, to give your life to Christ. He's your only hope. He doesn't want you to perish. But the Lord wants to wrap everything up. And when we look out at the signs of the world that we're living in today, we know that I believe he's about to come very soon. Purification fire, punishing fire. You know, it's real interesting. Over in the Gospel of Matthew chapter 3, in verse 11 and 12, uh, both of these are spoken of, purification and punishment. Jesus said this, I indeed baptize you with water unto repentance, but he who is coming after me, I'm sorry, John the Baptist said this, is mightier than I, whose sandals I am not worthy to carry. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. And so that's the purification message, the fire, what Jesus will do in your life. Some of you really love the Lord, huh? Some of you really love God and you love everybody else, right? Some of you here and you're on fire, huh, for the Lord. And that's what Jesus does. It's that purifying fire where you cut through all the things that you know are not of the Lord. You fall in love with the Lord. You fall in love with the people and the Holy Spirit is the one who does that. It's that purifying fire. But it goes on to say in verse 12, it says, And his winnowing fan is in his hand, and he will thoroughly clean out his threshing floor and gather his wheat into the barn. But he will burn up the chaff with unquenchable fire. You see, it's one thing for us to, you know, come in and, you know, we're all kind of like in this whole thing. 
You know, but, you know, coming to church service alone doesn't save you, man. You got to make sure that your heart is surrendered to Christ. Because one day there will be the separation between the wheat and the chaff, between those which really have the substance of their Savior and those who don't. And that's what Jesus is speaking of here. He's speaking of that fire of purification and the fire of punishment. And you know, another thing to take into consideration here is Jesus is really about to fire things up in the sense that we're going to see in our study today that the cross of Christ, it brings conflict. Here we are preaching the cross of Christ, right? Many people are offended by it. They don't like what Christians have to say, how Jesus is the only way. And in one sense, this fire has been ignited. When you really live that life of John 14, 6, where Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life, and no one comes to the Father except through me, it's like, boom, you start this fire, especially in the world that we live in today. They don't like that message. They want to coexist. They want toleration. They believe all roads lead to God, and it's a lie. And so Jesus is saying, man, I'm going to start this fire, man. Lemsky said this, The mission of Jesus did start a conflagration on earth, one that has never subsided and will burn on until the end of time. Jesus, it's like he drenches the world with, I don't know, lighter fluid. He lights a match and boom. When he died, he began to set this world on fire. And he works in us and he works in the areas of purification and one day he will work in the area of punishment. And so we see the spark Here in verse 50, where Jesus says, But I have a baptism to be baptized with, and how distressed I am till it is accomplished. We see, first of all, the death. This is going to start the fire. You know, the baptism Jesus speaks of here is a picture of his coming death on the cross of Calvary. And speaking of his coming death, it's interesting. James and John, one day they came to Jesus And uh, actually their mom came. You read the story in Mark chapter 10. And she said, Jesus, is it okay if uh, my son sit on your right hand, on your left hand? Here's James. Here's John. Jesus, is it okay for them to have this area of ministry, this position in ministry? But Jesus said this to them in Mark 10, 38. You do not know what you ask. Are you able to drink the cup that I drink and be baptized with the baptism that I am baptized with. What he was saying was, you guys want positions of ministry, but you probably don't even realize what it is. Think about this. Ministry is a call to die. And we're all called to die as Christians, but I think for some of us, we've got to understand that the baptism of ministry is a baptism of blood in which Jesus Christ sets the example for us in that he laid down his life. And that's what the baptism is. You remember when you guys got baptized? For a lot of you, it was a long time ago. But for some of you, you remember when you got baptized? Do you remember what happened? We put you under the water, man. Some of you fought us. Good thing, you know, good thing we're strong, man. (laughs) But we put you down under the water. You died. At least you were supposed to. And that's what baptism is. That's not only for the Christian, but we see here it's for the minister. Jesus is saying right here, listen, I have a baptism to be baptized with. He's talking about his death and how distressed I am 
till it is accomplished. You know, it's kind of interesting, you guys, the two figures right here that we see that re- connect to each other. Okay, one is a fire and one is water. And the water creates the fire. It's kind of weird, huh? You're like, man, it doesn't normally work that way. But here we see it does. And it's kind of a symbolic way of saying that even the cross, it's mysterious how the cross of Christ would create such a conflict. Because what is the cross of Christ? The cross of Christ is our way of salvation. The cross of Christ is the way that our sins are you know, washed away. The cross of Christ is the love of God for the world. It's our way to heaven. And yet it creates a conflict like water starting a fire. But that's the reality of the world that we live in. Jesus said, listen, I came to start this you know, fire on earth. A lot of things happening, man. Those people, they're going to get purified. Those people, unfortunately, who resist and insist on their own ways, they're going to get punished. It's this whole fire, right? And it begins how with my death. And in verse 50, he says this, interesting words, how distressed I am till it is accomplished. The Greek word means to hold it together, to be held by It means closely occupied with any business. And that's where Jesus was. In one sense, it's an emotional thing. I think in one sense, it's a convictional thing in which he was holding on to the clutch of the cross because he wanted to finish it so bad. The NIV says, what constraint I am under until it is completed. The NLT says, I'm under a heavy burden until it is accomplished. You know, I think it's cool in looking at the Lord that he came, uh, he just came to die. You know, and he's our example. You know, he had a work to do from the Father. And he said in John chapter 4, you know, my work is to do the will of the Father and to finish the work. That was his food. You know, and we need to have the same heart. I pray we would kind of say the same thing. Lord, you know, I'm distressed. I am, you know, in this place until... It is accomplished. So that one day we see later in John chapter 19, Jesus will say some words that are so amazing that he had finished the race, that he had finished the job. You know, it's hard, but it's the calling in our life. You know, when you're facing ministry, um, when you're facing the work of God, yeah, you have this kind of mixed emotions. Later in John chapter 12, verse 27, Jesus says, Now my soul is troubled, And what shall I say? Father, save me from the hour. But for this purpose, I came to this hour. And so, Father, glorify your name. You know, as you go through life, not just pastors, not just missionaries, all of us here, we go through hard times. I wish we didn't have to. I wish that the devil would leave us alone. You know, I wish that mistaken Christians would chillax You know, I wish that things would be nice and smooth sometimes, but I know that that's not the way it is uh, because, number one, we live in a fallen world, but number two, God will use all those difficulties in our life to drive us to Him. You know, all I know is this. Here was Jesus. He says, my soul is troubled. You know, but I'm not going to hold a pity party. I'm not going to complain. I'm not going to quit because this is what I came for. All this is part of... Of the package. You know, every once in a while, I've got to say this to you because I don't think Shelly's here, but you know, I'll tell her all this or that, you know, kind of a, a little, 
you know, things going on in the ministry. And, you know, she's cool. God uses her in my life. She says, you know, if you don't like the heat in the kitchen, get out, you know. And I'm like, wow, thank you for that, you know. But, you know, as people living in a world that's going against the flow, as we're dealing with Christians and some are struggling, some have the love of God, some don't. They just don't. You know, we need to understand this is all part of what God calls us to do. And Jesus here in dying, he set his face to do it. It was a heavy burden. It was a sin of the world. And he was under constraint until it was completed. William Don McDonald said this. He was under tremendous constraint to go to the cross to accomplish redemption for lost mankind. The shame, suffering, and death were the Father's will for him, and he was anxious to obey. And I love that. You know, we need to have the same mentality. You know, God, uh, I embrace my cross. God, I embrace my calling in life. Because I know what a difference it makes to that kid over there who doesn't have a father or that girl over there who doesn't have a mother and who's now pregnant. I know what a difference it makes to that one over there who has neither father nor mother. I know what a difference it makes to those who are hurting when God's people would embrace their cross and embrace their calling. You know, how beautiful are the words of Jesus? We eventually read in John 19, verse 30, Jesus uses the same Greek word, teleo. And so it says, when Jesus had received the sour wine, he said, it is finished. And bowing his head, he gave up his spirit. You see, the Lord finished the work. How did he finish the work? Because he had a heart to finish the work. He had this constraint. He had this drive. He had this passion for the calling and the cross in his life. Because if he didn't have that constraint and that passion to pursue the calling and cross of his life, then he wouldn't have finished the work and neither will you. There must be a passion for the calling and the cross on our life. So we can finish. Jesus finished. What a difference it makes to us. How many of you here are glad he finished? I'm so glad he finished the work, man. It's amazing. He washed away all my sins there on Calvary. You know, he set me free. He broke the chains. You know, the other day I was talking to my kids about this and we were using the illustration in the Old Testament about how You know, there was the first generation that was taken out of Egypt, you know. And uh, there was amazing works that God did. And I know for some of you here, you're first generation Christians, huh? Some of you here were doing sex and drugs and rock and roll, alcohol and bondage. You were so lost, right? How many of you here were like that, right? And then Christ did this amazing thing. He broke all the addictions. He broke all the chains. For some of you here, it was overnight, right? I mean, it's like the first generation that comes out of Egypt. And I was telling my kids the other day, and you know, because they're, just, they're just beautiful kids, but I was thinking about the whole illustration there. I was saying, you know, I want you to know my testimony. You know, I want you to know what God has done in my life. 
And I tell you what, I'm going to put it in writing, and I'm going to put it on video, and I'm going to make CDs, I'm going to make MP3s, I'm going to do everything I can to communicate my testimony. How when I was seven years old, I was getting drunk with my dad. How I started getting high. How I started doing all these drugs. How my dad was never there. How he was on schedule. All the things that God did in my life. And that testimony will carry you. You don't need to go get a testimony. I'm just going to show you and tell you what God has done. And this is what I want you to do, Mia. This is what I told them. I said, and then I want you to tell your kids so that they don't have to go get a testimony. And then you just pass it on from generation to generation. Not only do they have the testimony of what God's done in our life, but they have the testimony of the scriptures. Because what ended up happening eventually was there arose a generation that did not know the Lord nor the works of the Lord. And I want to tell my kids what God has done in my life. And one day they might tell their kids and who knows, grandkids and great-grandkids if the Lord tarries. All I'm saying is this, you guys, that what the Lord wants from us is a heart that would finish the work. We have to make sure that we pass the baton on to the next generation. I'm so glad and so blessed in what Jesus has done. He died. He died for us. Which leads then to the second thing. Because in dying for us, he creates disciples, which would then cause division. Look what the Lord says in verse 51. Do you suppose that I came to give peace on earth? I tell you, not at all, but rather division. For from now on, five and one house will be divided, three against two and two against three. Father will be divided against son and son against father, mother against daughter and daughter against mother, mother-in-law against her daughter-in-law and daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law. The Lord says, listen, I want to start a fire. I'm going to start a fire, purification and punishment. It begins with my death, the cross of Calvary there. There's a dividing line. And then that will then lead to divisions. And I want you to know this is my mission. And I don't want you to have any misconceptions. Don't think that now that you love the Lord and now that you're fighting for you know, grace and holiness and all the good things of God, don't think that everybody's going to agree with you. Don't think that everybody's going to choose your side. No, it's not going to happen. You know, one day there will be perfect, political, all people type of peace. You know, and that peace, of course, will come from the Prince of Peace. But that type of peace is not now. It's not until the heavenly kingdom is established, which is not of this world, it will then be established forever. Until then, what Jesus is saying to us is that there will be division. There will always be division over the Lord Jesus Christ. We need to remember that not all divisions are bad. You know, when you make a stand for Christ, and I'm talking about really, really making a stand for Christ, then, you know, not everyone's going to understand that stand, right? And so be ready for that collision of division. Oswald Chambers said this, There is a division as high as heaven and as deep as hell between the Christians and the world. You see, and that's where we're living in. You know, we see that because of Christ, there was division all over the place, even in his very life, during his lifetime. If you go over to John chapter 7, let's go there real quick. 
Look what we read in John chapter 7, beginning in verse 40. It says, Therefore, many from the crowd, when they heard this saying, said, Truly, this is the prophet. Others said, This is the Christ. But some said, Will the Christ come out of Galilee? Has not the scripture said the Christ comes from the seed of David and from the town of Bethlehem where David was. So there was a division among the people because of who? Because of him, right? If you go over to John chapter 9, notice what we read in verse 16. Therefore, some of the Pharisees said, this man is not from God because he does not keep the Sabbath. Others said, how can a man who is a sinner do such signs? And there was what? The division among them. If you go over to John chapter 10, notice what it says in verse 19. Therefore, there was a division among the Jews because of these sayings. And many of them said, he has a demon and is mad. Why do you listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who has a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? You see, and the Lord in his cross and in his you know, establishing the way to heaven, he creates that division. A lot of people don't like him. They don't like the fact that I got to straighten out my life. You're telling me that I, that I got to get married before I have sex? Exactly. I'm telling you that because God said that. Or you're telling me that I can't go drunk, get drunk anymore? Exactly. The Bible says, do not be drunk with wine in which is dissipation. It's a wasted life but be filled with the Spirit. Oh, you mean tell me, you know, marijuana, you know, it's a legal drug now, man. You know what? It's sorcery. When you get high, you open doors to demons. Oh, you're telling me, many that I can't, you know, I got to love everybody. Yeah, you got to love everybody. You really do. And you can't mess around with that because God sees. We're going to see later when we talk about discernment that a lot of people, they only look skin deep. You know, God looks deeper. All I'm saying is that everything we see within the pages of scriptures are the calling for God in our life. And some people, they don't like that. You know, they want to be like the dogs that run the streets that can do whatever they want. And you know, the Lord says, you know what? It's not that I'm trying to take away your fun, my son. It's just I love you. All those things that God forbids, they'll jack up your life. That's why people don't like us. Those Christians, oh man, give me a break. You know what? When it comes to Christ and you make a stand, they won't understand, but that's okay. Because Jesus will always create that type of division. You know, later on in the book of Acts, chapter 14, verse 4, it says, But the multitude of the city was divided, part sides with the Jews and part with the apostles. It'll always happen, not just to him and his life, but to us and our life. You know, in looking at our text here in Luke, you know, it's one thing when society comes against you and division takes place there, but it's quite another when it happens in the family, huh? And yet it happens, not just frequently, but constantly. You know, I thought about even asking you guys to raise your hand, but I don't want to do that to you. But man, I would venture to say that all of us here are some way affected by this. That somebody in your family, it might even be your son or daughter, they have divided against you and against your Jesus. And that's hard. But don't be surprised because the Lord says that's the way it will be when you make a stand for me. Whatever you do, don't back down. 
You stay strong in your commitment to Christ. You know, father against son, I can't even contemplate that thought. Mother against daughter, it shouldn't be. You know, maybe the in-laws I can kind of understand a little bit, but, <laughs> you know, I don't understand. No, I'm just messing with you guys, man. It should, you should be good in-laws. All I'm saying is, man, that's got to hurt so bad. But you know, and we know it happens all the time, right? Of course, we know it's not the perfect will of God. He longs for everyone to embrace his son, but God won't force it. Why? Because we're free. We're free to do as we choose. God's perfect will is for unity and society amongst every family, but it won't be a reality until we're home in heaven one day. You see, Jesus here, in giving this, he wants to give a heads up for one. He wants to warn us and prepare us to be ready. Warren Wiersbe said this, Jesus does give peace to those who trust him, but often their confession of faith becomes a declaration of war among their family and friends. Think about that. You know, I'll venture to say some of you here, when you became a Christian, you left, maybe it was the Catholic Church, or some of you, when you really, you know, became Christians and you stopped hanging out with whoever it was, man, they they came against you. I know that happened to me. But we have to make sure we understand this is the way Jesus said it would be. As a matter of fact, William Barclay said, the essence of Christianity is that loyalty to Christ has to take precedence over the dearest loyalties of this earth. You know, and it it might be against your father, it might be against your son, it might be against your mom, it might be against your daughter. It might be your boyfriend, your boyfriend who does not want to serve Christ. And you want to serve Christ. You've got to give your loyalty to the Lord. Because this will create divisions. And Jesus is testing you. That's all the Lord is saying. You see, his death would lead to division against his disciples. It's actually the great divider in our destiny. Therefore, last thing is this. That Jesus calls everyone to discernment. Look what we read in verse 54. Then he also said, now he's speaking to the multitudes. Whenever you see a cloud rising out of the west, immediately you say a shower is coming, and so it is. And when you see the south wind blow, you say there will be hot weather, and there is. Hypocrites, you can discern the face of the sky and of the earth, but how is it that you do not discern this time? Yes, and why, even of yourselves, do you not judge what is right When you go with your adversary to the magistrate, make every effort along the way to settle with him, lest he drag you to the judge, the judge deliver you to the officer, and the officer throw you into prison. I tell you, you shall not depart from there till you have paid the very last might. See, the Lord is always calling people to salvation, man. All the time. You know, he speaks and he feeds the believers. But he's always calling people to salvation. And he says, I'm going to start a fire. And you can picture him right now. He's kind of lighting the match, you know. And I'm going to start a fire. And it's going to be a fire of purification. In many of your lives, you're going to be a totally different man. It's the fire of the Holy Spirit. And there's this fire that's ignited. It's the fire not only of purification but of punishment and he's warning people right 
And he said, it all started when I died on the cross. For some reason, people don't like me. But that's okay because I guess it's the hostility of the enemy. But it creates this division, right? My death creates division. And so here's the way I want to close this message, the Lord says. I want you to be a discerning disciple. I want you to really see a couple of things. Number one, who I am, Jesus says. And number two, who you are. Who is Jesus Christ? And for that, he uses an illustration of a weather, you know, people, how we can kind of tell the weather, right? We need to discern the Lord's life in this. Now in Palestine, whenever a rest and breeze combined with a cloud would occur, it meant that moisture was coming from the Mediterranean Sea. If you were to look at a map of Israel, you would see on the west side, you would see the sea. You would see the Mediterranean Sea. And so if the wind's blowing this way and you see the clouds over there, it doesn't take a rocket scientist to know, cool, rain is coming, right? But if you began to notice that the wind is blowing from the south, again, if you look at a map of Israel, you see down here the wilderness of Zin, right? If the wind was blowing that way, you're like, oh no, it's going to be a hot one today and I don't have any air conditioning, right? (laughs) And the Lord says, you guys can figure that out, right? And the Lord says, I don't get it, man. You guys can figure out the weather, but you can't figure out when God comes into your life. It's crazy. And he calls them hypocrites. He rebuked the people for being able to discern the coming weather, but not the coming Savior. You know, even though in looking at this whole thing, the hands on God's watch pointed to him, they could not figure out what time it was. That's what Jesus says right there. They couldn't figure that out. You know, and here we are even today, you know, a couple of thousand years later, we love to talk about the weather, don't we? You know, most of you here, yeah, we like to talk about the weather. Maybe it's because there's nothing else to talk about. I don't know. Or maybe it's because, hey, you want to give good counsel? Like, hey, you should wear shorts tomorrow. I don't, I don't know. We're talking about the weather. Here we are 2,000 years later, and we have, uh, you know, the weatherman, Channel 7, 7,000 Doppler. I mean, there's all these things that we're able to discern this, but we can't figure out the things that are really important in life. Again, Warren Wiersbe said, how tragic that men today can predict the movements of the heavenly bodies, split atoms, and even put men on the moon. But they are blind to what God is doing in the world. They know how to get to the stars, but they do not know how to get to heaven. Our educated world possesses a great deal of scientific knowledge, but not much spiritual wisdom. Crazy. And I'm sure the people of Jesus' day had the same type of interest in the weather, but I wonder whether or not they had the same interest in the Lord and the things of the Lord. You know, one of the things about the weather, it's, it's every day, huh? Every day. How many of you here, you know, you wake up and you're like, okay, I'll check the weather forecast for today. I don't know if you do it in the newspaper or whatever. We do it every day. And I think in one sense, we need to be that way with the Lord every day. God, what are you trying to say to me today? God, what do you want me to do today? What, what time is it, Lord? What are you saying to me? My pastor always used to ask me, what's the Lord showing you? And I've shared with you guys before that in one sense, we should always be able to answer that question because I believe God is always speaking. What's the Lord showing you 
today. We need discernment. The Greek word here, it means to test, examine, prove, scrutinize. It means to see whether a thing is genuine or not, to approve worthy. And we really need that type of discernment when it comes to the things of the Lord. huh? There's a few scriptures that use the same Greek word and kind of give us that message. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 10, it says, Finding out what is acceptable to the Lord. Using discernment. And asking the Lord to give you that discernment. Lord, what's acceptable to you? Don't just look on the surface. Look deeper. Right? We need discernment today. Number two, Philippians 1.10, that you may approve the things that are excellent. Okay? That's another challenge for us. Some of us here, maybe we're doing good things. Some of us here today, maybe we're doing better things. But I wonder how many of us here today are doing the best best things. And that's the calling for us as Christians, finding out what is excellent for us to be engaged in. You know, we've got to test everything. First Thessalonians 5.21 says, test all things, hold fast what is good. And I trip out. I trip out on how people who are taught the Bible over the years, a lot of times, man, there's not that discernment. And they're, you know, reading a book by somebody who's not right on. Or they're, you know, listening to studies or they're watching those, you know, you know, TV programs, the evangelists or, you know, things that, you know, you need to test all that. We need discernment. You are what you eat. Garbage in, garbage out. They water it down. It's not good for you. Be careful. Test everything, you guys. First John chapter 4, verse 1, it says, Beloved, do not believe every spirit, but test the spirits, whether they are of God, because many false prophets have gone out into the world. You see, we need discernment. We need to be able to reject the lies and receive the truth. If the people of Jesus' day had had true discernment, they would have inspected Jesus and accepted Jesus. But they lacked true discernment and instead they rejected Jesus. How about you today? Have you inspected Jesus? Have you accepted Jesus? Or have you rejected Jesus? If you open your eyes to this one that we're speaking of, the one that died for you on the cross, you'll give your life to him. But you've got to stop looking at things from a superficial perspective. We must not look at people, but look into people. We must not look simply at things, but into things. And look deeper by the power of the Holy Spirit. Jesus said here at the end of verse 56 that he didn't know what time it was. I don't want to... You know, trip you out, but if I can just ask you guys, you know, what time is it? You know, what time is it? You're like, it's 1121, Manny, and you should be wrapping things up right now, right? (laughs) No, what time is it? Maybe right now is a time for you to recommit your life to Christ. That's what time it is. Or maybe right now, what time it is, is for you to surrender your life to Christ completely. Maybe right now, what what time it is, it's time for you to wake up, even as a Christian. Maybe right now, what time it is, 
It's your last day on earth. See, we're able to discover the weather and discern the weather, but we don't know what time it is. All I know is this. God will show you. God wants us to follow him wholeheartedly. You know, it's interesting in looking at this, that Jesus uses a weather weather illustration, and one is rain and the other is heat. Now, now in those days, you know, they really appreciated the rain. Some of you here today, you have nice green lawns. Some of you here have yellow lawns, right? (laughs) You know, a lot of us have green lawns. Why? Because we have sprinklers. We set our sprinklers and we're all, you know, nice and neat. But, you know, imagine if we didn't have sprinklers, how we would depend on the rain. You know, that's where they were. They love the rain. Of course, they love the rain. You know, and, you know, I know some of you here, you know, you love the rain because I know every time it rains, I always thank God. What a blessing it is, you know. But then, you know, what about the heat? Well, most people, there's a few weird people, but most people don't like the heat. They, they don't like it. And it's kind of interesting how the Lord is basically saying, you know, this is the way it works. I want to bless you with rain. I want to bless you with rain. I want to bless your life. I don't want the heat to harm you. It's very simple. The Lord says you need discernment in who I am, and then you need discernment in who you are. And in verses 57 through 59, the Lord gives us another familiar illustration, moving it now from weather to probably what was litigation. And Jesus here uses the common practice of the day to prepare the people for what? For judgment day. And let's just say, for example, you commit a crime. How many of you here have ever done that? No, I'm just messing with you. No, I won't ask you. Your adversary has you arrested and you're on your way to stand before the judge. Jesus' counsel is, man, try to work it out before you get there. Try to work it out before it's too late. Plead for mercy along the way because remember, the job of the just and holy judge is to execute pure and total justice and you will not get away with anything in his presence. So what he's trying to say is to work it out now. You see, we need discernment for his life, who Jesus is, and, and we need discernment for our own life. William Barclay said this, every man has a bad case in the presence of God. Some of you here are thinking, no, I'm a pretty good person. I think I got a good case. No, you don't, man. We've all sinned. We fall short of the glory of God. We've all got a bad case, right? And it says right here, if he is wise, he will make his peace with God while yet there is time. There are some things a man cannot afford to put off. Above all, making his peace with God. And I really want to encourage you guys today, me, uh, let's really make sure that we're ready for that day. You know, number one, we've all broken the law. We've all sinned. Number two, we all have an adversary. Now, we're not sure if this is the devil. It might even be God himself, right? But here we see that we're all on our way where to stand before the judge, some sooner, some later. And so what should we do? Settle it now. At Calvary Chapel Almani at 1125, you know, settle it now before it's too late. Because one day justice will prevail. 
If we receive Christ, then we will be free, for he has paid the price on the cross of Calvary. He prayed the last might and washed us to make us right. If anyone has not received Christ but rejected him, they will never, ever, ever, ever be free. And the Lord warns us ahead of time. You know, it's kind of interesting. I don't know how you guys are about this, but most people will do anything to stay out of prison. huh? Most of you here will do, I don't want to go to jail. And you'll do anything, you know, to stay out of prison. But most people will do nothing to stay out of hell. How foolish that is. We have a wonderful Savior who teaches us how to live life, who died for us on the cross of Calvary. Christians, live for Him. You have a calling on your life. You have a cross to embrace. Finish the work that God's given to you to do. For the rest of you here, maybe you're not a Christian or maybe you've drifted away from the Lord. I tell you what, man, this would be a great day to come to Jesus. Heavenly Father, Lord, I thank you so much for your word, for your love, for your grace in my life. And I just really thank you, Father, for, you know, you love me. And so you never let me just kind of settle in. You're always calling me deeper. And I want to thank you for that, Lord. I want to love like, like you love. I want to live like you live. I want to be kind. I want to be considerate and generous and benevolent, Lord. I want to be the man that you want me to be with my family, with my friends, with everyone, Lord, today. And I pray that we would all long that, long for that in our life, Lord. Thank you for challenging us. And I also want to thank you, Lord, for reaching out to those who today are hurting. Because I know this, Lord, that without Jesus as Lord of one's life, I know they're hurting. I know they're empty. I know, Father, that there's an ache inside of their heart. And so, Lord, I pray if there's anyone here today who's drifted away, who doesn't know you, or maybe they've, just, you know, Lord, they find themselves here not even sure of where they're at. Maybe they've been coming for a long time. You're the God of salvation. And so, Lord, I pray that you would save souls today. And just with every eye closed and every head bowed, if you're here today and you, you know you need Jesus, man, you're, you're on the way and you're like, okay, I want to settle it now before it's too late. If you want to trust in Christ, turn from your sins, repent and receive Jesus today. Then right where you're at, you just pray this prayer and you pray it in your heart and you mean it and you say it to him. You say, dear Jesus, I come to you today. And I admit, I have sinned. But today, I turn from my sin and I trust you, Jesus, as my Lord and my Savior. Fill me with your Holy Spirit and help me to live life as a Christian from this day forward. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. If you prayed that prayer and you meant it in your heart, Man, I encourage you to continue to go forward in your relationship with the Lord. You pray with somebody. 
Can you pray with somebody before you leave today? And if you need a Bible or anything, you let us know. And we'll help you out in any way that we can. Let's all stand and let's sing a song to the King. We hope you were encouraged by this study. If you have any questions, please call us at Calvary Chapel El Monte at air code 626-454-3414. Remember that Jesus loves you.